Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 191. Today is Sunday the 17th of April 2016, and this interview is with Vincent Boyce, user experience principal at the Honeywell Corporation, which is a $40 billion tech company whose mission is to make our world cleaner and more sustainable, more secured, connected, energy efficient and productive. In this interview with Vincent, we discuss how Honeywell goes about defining and creating user experience, what makes for a great UX, some of the challenges and keys to designing UX in a large multinational, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So, Vincent, we met at South by Southwest and, uh, you know, those random encounters we have. So I'm happy to have you on the show. Tell us who you are, what's your job, and what's your mindset? Yeah, well, listen, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to bump into you at South by Southwest, rather serendipitously or serendipitously. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm a a user experience principal here at, at Honeywell. And, and for those of you that, that may not be familiar with Honeywell, it's a, um, a, rel- a relatively large, diversified manufacturing and, and software. No, let me, let me rephrase that. It's a huge. Yeah, it's pretty darn big. Yeah. It's pretty darn big. But I try not to think about that. I try right. to think about it being small because when I think about the size and totality, it's almost like thinking about the universe. Like there's just too much. Going That's on. right. And, and my role within the organization is one of a, a user experience principle, uh, which, which means I'm very much focused upon uh, the perception, the interaction, and the satisfaction individuals have with our products, or our services, or our platform. Right. Um, so to to arrive at at those um, various goals. I apply a variety of different design methodologies, uh, human-centered design methodologies, research methodologies, again, to to really understand how to make the best connection between what our offerings are and what the needs and goals of the users are. So it's it's, um, fantastically fun uh, and, and incredibly busy, as you can imagine. Uh, but that, that's that's it in a nutshell, right? It's right. A, um, so it's before very, before yeah. you tell us about your mindset, a, l- a little bit more about the Honeywell customer uh, mm-hmm. and the types of products you're selling into them. Yeah, well, you may, and, and uh, let, me, let me take a, let me. I guess the best way to answer this, you know, Honeywell, oftentimes is synonymous with the the uh, the T eighty seven, right? And that's the the round circular wall thermostat that was. Uh, designed back, I think, in 1953 by the great industrial designer, uh, Henry Dreyfus. And, and that's the, uh, the thing that you walk up to. It's attached to a wall. You turn it. You can make your, your home cooler or warmer. Right? So that, that represents a relatively large part of the business's profile. But as you mentioned earlier, we're very, very large. Uh, there, there's also aerospace, uh, performance material technologies, uh, uh, automated control systems, as, as I just mentioned, so we, we pretty much run run the gamut of, of embedded technologies uh, that you'll find in, in infrastructure uh, as well as uh, personal goods. Yeah, so you're B to C as well as B to B. 
Precisely, yeah. Uh, a lot of our uh, componentry are in things that you use each day, but there isn't a Honeywell logo or, or it's, it's embedded uh, as, as a result of a larger uh, engineering uh, design. So, yeah, we really are, as I said, you know, diversified in, in a lot of different things. All right. So tell us, what is your mindset, Vincent? Yeah, my mindset. And I, 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 I baffle myself when I think about what my mindset is. It's, uh, I, I think my mindset from a, from a UX standpoint um, is one of, of awareness, right? Uh, I try to be as aware as possible with respect to um, what my abilities are in regard to being creative and be, being able to solve a problem and understand uh, various processes, as well as um, my awareness of the individuals that will be using and the ecosystem uh, and the various touch points within. Uh, so my, my mindset, as much as it is um, very uh, tuned and focused with respect to uh, following a UX practice, uh, I, I oftentimes take a step back and look at things in a much, in, from a much broader systems thinking perspective, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, we're, we're part of a, a larger system, That's multiple right. systems. And it, it's, it's interesting when you take that that into account when you design anything. This this artifact that we design isn't simply one thing. It's it's part of a, a much larger thing, and and that's where it gets really exciting. From again, from a mindset standpoint, it's kind of that that, that ghost in the machine idea, um, or or you know the, the synergism synergism between all of the connected components. Probably good for the position you're in. So at Honeywell. Um, I mean, and I think that, you know, obviously the user experience is such a uh, cutting edge space in, in the sense that most senior executives still don't get it. Yeah. How do you yep. define user experience at Honeywell? Yeah, there's there's a couple of different ways. And uh, again, uh, according to the audience, we, we will tailor the message, right? Um, but at the end of the day, we typically define user experience, as I mentioned a bit earlier, uh, very broadly with respect to the perception, interaction, and satisfaction one has, right? Um, but if you begin to break each of those things down, it really falls into uh, three or four different subgroups, um, research, ideation, and evaluation, right? And the combination of these, these disciplines, uh, if done correctly, can yield uh, some tremendous ROI. Right. So and, and that's the key word here, ROI. Uh, most of what we do, of course, needs to show some type of ROI. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, capital, although that's always great. Uh, it may have some ROI with respect to efficiency or there may be ROI with respect to change agents or whatever the case may be. Uh, so we typically talk about user experience as a, a mechanism or process to, to either uncover opportunities, right, or to take a, a, an existing uh, concept, idea, product, service, and enhance it, right? Everything can be made better, and that's one of the, one of the things uh, that we, we, we talk to each other about. Regardless of what we do, it can always be better, and there, there are two reasons. The reason number one is, well, um, we live in a constantly changing environment. Const every, each day, things are changing, right? And this evolution, um, both from a technology standpoint, as well as a, I'll, I'll call it a, a digital standpoint, what we're doing digitally is changing so rapidly. Now, I want to make a quick caveat there, because when we talk about human, or I should say, when we talk about user experience, it's not always digital, 
I'm thinking of human-centered design, but taking it, which is a, a foundation of what we practice. But user experience is really a continuum within a, a very vast ecosystem that has a tremendous uh, amount of touch points, some analog, some digital. So a lot of my, uh, my job, a lot of my thinking is to begin to envision, align, uh, predict which touch points may be uh, relevant and useful for any given initiative that we, we, uh, we go forward. So I know that was kind of a long uh, winded answer, um, but there's a reason. And the reason is it, it's, a, it's, an, invo- it's e- an evolving practice. You know, I, I've been at this for the last 10 to 12 years. And believe me, where we are now, based upon where we are or then, very, very different. And in organizations such as this and other organizations, human, uh, I mean, uh, user experience is often, I think, used synonymously with interaction design. And that's fine, right? I mean, uh, that's part of it. But it's, it's much, much, much broader than that, right? We have um, behavioral dynamics that need to be considered, right? With respect to psychology, we have technographics, we have demographics, all of these wonderful um, uh, components that you bring together to, to solve this question. So typically, I look at it from, from the standpoint of uh, when, I'm, when I'm with a stakeholder, I'm trying to determine what it is that they need and then what components from this very potent mixture of user experience can we then use to allow them to, uh, you know, achieve their goals or find right. results or whatever the case may be. All right. So Vincent, I'm trying to unpack a little bit what you've been saying. And the first thing, which comes back to how you guys work, and you were talking about how you were part sometimes, you know, almost white label within a large, you're not white label, but within a, a, yep. a, a large ecosystem. So to what extent can you impact the user experience when you have so many other stakeholders and participants in the final product? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, um, and, and this is kind of a, 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 an interesting uh, problem to have, and, and I've had it for many, 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 many years, and uh, if I do my job well, um, it, it's pretty much invisible, meaning uh, any, any friction that there may have been between the user and their goal, uh, if that's removed, that means I've, I've ju- done my job properly. However, within that course, if there's a, a, a situation where Something is problematic with the actual hardware. Something's problematic with the software. Something's problematic with the way that individuals talk about what the component is, is supposed to do. Well, there, there are the areas that I need to focus upon, and there, those are the areas that I need to fix, right? Uh, so if I do my job right, everyone is well and on their way. And if I am deficient, well, there are areas that I need to focus on and make better, right? Uh, does that kind of make sense, right? Yeah, this this kind does. of invisible state? Yeah, yeah. it does, but... I'm thinking that that's like debugging as opposed to creating uh, an extraordinary journey, you know, the customer yeah. journey kind of thing. Yeah. How do well, you... you bring up a good point. Uh, oftentimes we are brought in uh, mid-system or mid-cycle or when the system's already been designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, that's usually the case. However, that's changing, right? And, and I mentioned earlier the idea of change agent and, uh, user experience getting a bit further upstream. Uh, so when there are conversations about whatever the initiative is going to be, uh, and there are engineers and there are, are the, the specs, we have a user experience individual as well in that conversation. So we're not being reactive as much as proactive, right? We can, we can begin to think about the entire process from, from A to Z and various iterations and ensuring that the decisions that are made are informed by a human-centered design approach, thereby um, allowing us to 
bypass some of the challenges we may have, let's say, with an interface item or one of the challenges that we may have with a tactical or auditory item, whatever the case may be. Uh, and that's typically when user experience is at its best, when it's at the at the impetus, you know, of the particular initiative. Now, from a stakeholder standpoint, you know, that's it's becoming a bit easier to sell. Uh, but by and large, uh, for the biggest part of the most part of my career, user experience is kind of that, that add on or user experience is the first thing to go if the budget is cut hmm. or user experience is the thing that comes at the end of the process. And, and these are simply um, either just misguided attempts to integrate new user experience or uh, um, uh, a less informed way or uh, understanding of what user experience is and, and, and how it can be used yep. to its fullest. Presumably you, you end up spending a lot of your time proselytizing and and making people understand the benefit of bringing you guys upstream. Yeah, uh, at least at least fifty to sixty percent, believe it or not. And I do that in, in a variety of different ways. Uh, one of the ways that is, is simply by being uh, an evangelist, uh, proselytizing, um, expressing the, the relative uh, virtues and benefits of user experience, and 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 why and how to integrate uh, earlier in a particular process. The other way that I do it is simply through my work, right? Simply through my design practice, uh, simply through the methodology that I use to to present work, and I'll in fact use that as a case study with respect to uh, why user experience is important. I do a fair amount of work with, with analytics as well as visualizations. And uh, through the course of a given project, I, 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 in order that I capture as many relevant metrics with regard to what I'm designing. Uh, so when I go ahead and present it, I could say, oh, and you'll notice here that we've got a 15% uptick in whatever the case may be, right? Uh, and, and I'm finding that to be a very valuable tool as well. As much as, as, much as I can data back my decisions, uh, they go a bit further, uh, for sure. So, when, well, I want to circle back on something you mentioned before, which is this yeah. ROI. And pretty much anyone with a rational mindset, of course, is going to say, that's that's gold, I need that. When you're constructing the the measuring, the measurable, the measurable component, which, as you said, changes according to what you're doing, give us an idea of how you go about making that happen. Because, you know, it's it's almost like, well, sure, yeah, 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 but then... How do you make it specific? How do you make it uh, impacting within the organization? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of ways. Uh, and one of the things that, that's important to remember is we have uh, oftentimes many different stakeholders uh, on, on any given project yeah. that have a particular item that they're interested in. Uh, with respect to ROI, uh, there, are, there are people that are, again, very interested in the capital. Uh, and then there are others are, that are interested in seeing a, a, a new process. So uh, the way in which I, I typically measure, and again, it's, it is kind of a, a broad answer to a, a relatively broad question, uh, because, again, it really depends on the particular project, mm -hmm. um, is if I can find uh, qualitative measures, uh, qualitative metrics, um, I will in, in, uh, integrate them, as well as if I can find quantitative, right? So that's that kind of balance between, you know, qualitative research and quantitative research. Uh, oftentimes, I'll, um, I'll come up with a set of metrics. I'll work with my team members to ensure that we're, we're more or less in the right place, right? Uh, we're asking the right questions or we're looking at the the right inputs. And I, I do a fair amount of research. Uh, that's the, uh, so along, of, along with 
proselytizing. Uh, I'm also a researcher, so I'll work with uh, individuals either within the organization or outside of the organization to help validate some of our design thinking. And from there, I'll, I'll come up with a uh, an analytics presentation and and go from there. So I, I don't know if that if that answers the question. There there isn't really much magic other than uh, identifying what to measure. Uh, creating a process to measure it, measuring it, and then reporting. Well, something that I try to do, but since I'm not in UX per se, but I try to link whatever I'm measuring to what is strategically at issue or, you know, sensitive for the company with, with which I'm working. So what I will end up doing is making sure there's some sort of link between the strategy and this little component, if you will. Yeah, no, that's 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 brilliant. That's brilliant. And and what I've been learning um, here is oftentimes, and this is where it gets really interesting. Oftentimes, the initial strategy um, may, by by virtue of the design uh, practice, may become secondary. Meaning, we may have uncovered something altogether uh, that we weren't expecting. And that's and that's where things get fun. And that's where stakeholders kind of raise their eyebrows and say, "Wow, we we were thinking about doing this, but." Look what we've created. We actually can do this now. Okay, let's run with it. Let's see what happens, and we'll iterate and we'll we'll, we'll push it a bit further. Um, but the, the, but you're, you're absolutely right. Typically, there is some kind of strategic statement or strategic POV that you're hoping to support. Now, I said something, and I, I don't want to be um, evocative or uh, pro, no, provocative, but um, expecting. And sometimes expectations change. And, and as a user experience designer. You, you oftentimes have to be, you know, balanced and ethical uh, because you may be supporting something strategically, but you may uncover something that may be in the, the diametrically opposed to what everyone is expecting or what everyone wants. And that's where, again, those those people skills come in where you, where you have to con- continue to, you know, fight for the, the right approach. However, uh, letting stakeholders know that, you know, this isn't the best approach or if you do this, you realize that these things are going to happen. And that's sometimes not easy to do, All right, so um, but, give me an, but give we me, have to do it. Give, yeah. give me an ethical quantity. I mean, I, the, where my mind is going, I'm thinking, well, we produce this in some child factory in, you know, in China. And that's where we get the cheapest component. Uh, clarify for me what would be an ethical issue in UX design. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I think I, I'd go up at a much uh, lighter level than that, maybe a much higher level, um, with respect to uh, the ethics of interface, right? Uh, 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 choice architecture, uh, developing an interface where it, it makes it either challenging for a, an individual to get through by by design. Uh, or oh, an interface where um, we're requiring a bit more that's than really necessary, right? In order right. to capture, let's say, more data. And, uh, right. So I think that that level of ethics are are, are what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, you've got a, a large organ. I mean, I don't remember the size of Honeywell, but it's I mean, it's tens of billions of, of dollars in revenues, right? Yeah, forty. I think I believe forty billion. Yeah. Last I looked, yeah, we were hundred thirty-five thousand people. Globally, so yeah, you're, you're dealing with uh, sharing best practices, standardizing UX design process uh, throughout your organization. And I don't know how to what extent you're doing the whole or, or, or if you have a specific area. But how on earth do you manage that and try to standardize that given that design, as important as it is, remains some, as we said a little bit at the beginning, something of an afterthought for so many people? Yeah, uh, 
Uh, we, we are a large organization, and I, I am lucky to sit within an R&D capacity within a, a strategy and uh, an insights team, right? Uh, that said, I have colleagues that work uh, on a variety of different products um, across the, the continuum. There are a couple things that we do to standardize. We have uh, terrific leadership, especially with respect to user experience. There's been a, a tremendous investment made um, in, in the past years with regard to having design thinkers like myself uh, join the organization and uh, begin to work uh, to, to unify these, these human-centered design practices and, and user experience. So by that, our, our leadership gives us a tremendous amount of uh, freedom. Um, however, they, they, of course, are, from an ROI standpoint, uh, they, they want us to return dividends on that. But what we do is we work closely with our colleagues, uh, especially in, in different fields, uh, just to ensure the, the, our approach, when applicable, is is as standardized or is as, is as aligned as possible, right? So I, I spoke earlier about this about this idea of research, ideation, and evaluation. Um, regardless of the product that you're working on, and whether it's a physical product or a software product or a platform, um, you can you can use those pillars as as a a way to um, begin your process of understanding uh, what it is that you're doing that would come from the research um, ideation well that's more about you know prototyping iterative designs whatever the case may be and then evaluation you know, once you have that tangible artifact or that artifact from those uh, those first two parts you can begin to measure and understand um, you know how closely it, it aligns with the the original goal and we all pretty much think in that regard. So that, that allows us to at least um, be saints from that standpoint. Uh, but beyond there, because we, we do work at different capacities on different products, uh, it, it becomes challenging. So I, you know, as I listen to you and, and you mentioned what is your star product, I have to imagine that Honeywell, you have... Uh, a bee in your bonnet or some uh, eyes focused on some of the competition that might be disrupting your area. Yes, of course. Uh, of course. Do you feel like you're leading the charge to make yes. the company more agile and, and more responsive to the, uh, the marketplace? And, yes. And, but more specifically, who are you looking to as allies in your charge? So allies with, with, within your organization or without, how are you corralling other people to join you? Who, who are you going to? Is it you know, the marketing team, R&D team, uh, yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy speakers uh, at South by Southwest? What, what, how do you do it? <laughs> at this point, all, all of the above, right? Um, so one of the things that we, we value uh, in this organization is thought leadership. Um, irrespective of, of your particular role, um, your ability to understand the concept and to articulate a concept and get support with that concept. So I, I oftentimes uh, you know, have conversations with people that are outside of my, um, you know, outside my purview, of course, and outside of where I, I exist within the organization. However, I'm able to activate um, and, and deploy my thinking by virtue of their thought leadership. So uh, it's primarily internally. And, and I, I have to say, um, as you mentioned earlier, a VNR bonnet, we, we absolutely have um, a, a lot of just really great innovative ideas that, that, we're, that we want to get to market, that we want to bring to life. Now, of course, an organization this large, it takes time. 
and uh, you know sometimes we have the skunk works people and those are the people that are in the you know the, the, the innovation lab coming up with these really interesting things to to show their stakeholder or to show the leadership to excitement and from there kind of spirals into uh, a potential product or even uh, something to to research a bit further and I think it's it's really a matter of uh, again this is this is just my my opinion um, finding people that are interested in in what you do and, and who you are is probably the, the most important thing that I found here and from there just creating conversations and it's amazing where the simplest conversations end up you're in a company where engineering is probably rather dominant. Yes, what's indeed. The, what's the place for emotion? Well, you, you, you've nailed it. We've, we've been an engineering company uh, more or less from, from day one. Uh, some of the challenges is uh, looking at a solution from a non-engineering standpoint. Right. Now, this is kind of the, the, the human you know, the human centered design standpoint. Um, but what I found is um, th they're, they're, in fact, two sides of the same coin, right? We're, we're looking to solve a problem, and we, we have different tools and different uh, ways of doing it. I've been very, very successful here um, working with, with a very requirements-driven engineering type of lockstep uh, cadence. So it's not important to be to to immerse. It's not. I should say it's not impossible um, to immerse yourself. Uh, you just have to find ways in, and it's not always easy, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you have to have a kind of a, some some thick skin. You've got to be creative. But you know, designers typically can find five or six different ways to do any any particular task. So um, it's just a matter of uh, you know, doing what's right with respect to the discipline. And, and what I mean the discipline, and that, that's user experience. Um, not letting it become uh, you know, diluted or, or bastardized or becoming a buzzword or, or an add-on. Uh, really standing up for, for it, and not only because we believe it's the thing to, right thing to do, um, because it is the right thing to do. Right? Uh, I have colleagues in various industries that, that are doing the same thing. Um, they're upholding the discipline, so it so it doesn't become one of those things that is no longer relevant or no longer meaningful. All right, cool. Um, listen, Vincent, time is of the essence, and unfortunately, yes. we must uh, move along. And you guys get on with the normal day life over in eastern East Coast there over there. <laughs> what is the best way for someone to connect with you, follow you, track you down? Yeah, listen. If you if you want to uh, contact me, there's there's two ways. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Vincent Dean. That's V I N C E N T D E A N. Uh, or you can contact me at Honeywell, and it's uh, Vincent B I N C E N T dot Boyce B O Y C E at Honeywell.com. And, and if you find if you find any of this interesting, um, I'm happy to continue the, the conversation. Beautiful. I shall put that into the show notes. Vincent, okay, thanks for coming on board. Looking forward to staying in touch. And I, you know, the, one of the things you, you did say, which I did, we didn't have time to dig in, but the whole thing of analytics and and visualization of what you're doing with the data, uh, I, I would love to know more about that. Maybe that'll have to be a subject for another podcast. Yeah, we'll do a part two. You know, let's do that. Okay. Mitchell, listen, very very appreciative. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, be candid and talk a bit about what I do. And uh, again, thanks for your time. It's always good to have someone with passion. Vincent, have a good one. Okay, Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter 
at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, 
revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.